Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Full obedience. Guys, that's what he wants from us. Full obedience. Complete surrender. Complete surrender. There's no negotiating with Jesus. There is no table of negotiation. Okay, Jesus, um, you forgive me of my sins, then uh, I'll do this for you. And only to this extent, though. There's no negotiating with him. You're either all in or you're not. And holiness demands all in. Full obedience is necessary if you want to follow Jesus. It's not up for debate. He demands it of us. If you can't fully surrender to God's perfect will for your life today, then you need to check your heart and ask yourself why you struggle to follow God's will instead of your own. Is it pride? Straight up defiance? Regardless, Pastor James hopes that this teaching will speak to you and that you might have the desire to abide by God's plan for your life, even when you don't completely understand it. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 2, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Is it the four friends' faith? Is it the four friends plus the paralytics' faith? Yes, I believe that. I believe it's the four friends' faith, but I also believe that the paralytic had faith on his own as well. We don't know if he asked to be brought to Jesus or if his friends just loved him and cared enough about him that said, I don't care what you think, you're going to Jesus, okay? Because we need that sometimes too. He probably had faith, again, in his friends for lowering him down through a roof. You know, that that takes a certain amount of faith as well, right? I believe he wanted to get there. And we know that his four friends absolutely wanted him in the presence of Jesus because they knew Jesus could heal him. I believe there was an element to this paralyzed man, the paralytic, that he probably believed that Jesus could heal him as well. So Jesus, seeing their faith, says to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. And you're thinking, well, you're one of the four. You're like, well, no, we didn't bring him here for that. Well, no, he's paralyzed Jesus. We brought him here so that you would restore him. And he's like, I just did. I just did. No, no, we, we want you to address the greatest need in his life. And Jesus said, I just did. I just did. Even if this dude never walked again, the biggest issue in his life was solved on that day by Jesus. And I think this paralyzed man knew it. And I think he probably would have been okay. He's like, your sins are forgiven. And this immediately triggers the scribes within the room. The scribes were like the religious leaders of that day. Why are they occupying space in there? Why didn't they give up their seat? I can tell you, probably, the religious people of that day probably were the ones owning the front row seats. I can't say this dogmatically, meaning I can't say this like being 100% sure about this, but this is my speculation. They were the ones occupying the front row and would have never been willing to 
leave the house so that the paralyzed guy could be right there. Oftentimes, that's how it is with religious people. They're not willing to give up their seat. They're not. They're not willing all the time to make way for other people. They're just not. So I think they're there, and they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, and they are absolutely right in their accusation. It says, verse 6, some of the teachers of religious law, the scribes, who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. This is speaking out against God. This is punishable by death, what he's doing. Only God can forgive sins, and they are absolutely correct. Absolutely correct in their accusation. Only God could forgive sins. And Jesus is about to throw it down on them like, yeah, you're right. Only God can. And here I am. Incarnate, in flesh. They are scribes. They are teachers of the religious law. They know it better than anybody else. And even prophets back then, they would say, the Lord has put your sins away. That's as far as they would ever go to making a statement like that. The Lord has done this for you. Jesus himself says, your sins are forgiven. I'm claiming authority to forgive you of your sins is what he says. And they immediately think he deserves to die. Because if anybody else said this, and a lot of guys were going around promising to do this and promising to do that, but Jesus is actually making this statement, he deserves to die. They don't even have to say it. He didn't even need to heal those paralyzed men. The fact that he does what comes next should have like triggered within their brains that, wait a minute, maybe he is God. Because they didn't say this to each other. They thought this. It says Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? So he pauses and he calls these guys out for a second. He's like, hey, you got a problem with that? Did I say something that made you upset? The scribes, the religious leaders, the teachers of religious law are saying Jesus is claiming to be God. These are the experts. So if you ever hear anybody say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, you have to read the Bible again because he does. And that's why this is the first time it comes out. This charge will be brought up again later because all the religious people of this day knew exactly what he was doing. He was claiming to be God. He did all throughout the gospels. He didn't just claim it. He backed it up. He knew what they were thinking. There was a thought back then, too, that prophets could possibly discern the thoughts of others. But there's no like, can they or couldn't they? And if they did, it certainly was a work of God. Jesus immediately knows what they're thinking. How does he immediately know what they're thinking? Well, because he is God in flesh. All those Psalms that we read about how, you know, where can I go from your presence? All, you know, these beautiful Psalms, Psalm 139. This is how he knows your thoughts. He knows every word you're going to say before you even speak that word. He knows of all your thoughts, which is probably terrifying for most of us. You're like, oh, no, Lord, don't know. No, I, yes, please. You know what you're dealing with. You know what you're working with. He knows your thoughts. He knows you. He knows you. And he cares for you. 
the reason why he's addressing these guys is because, believe it or not, he actually cared about religious people as well. Why do you question this in your hearts? Verse 9, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Well, it's totally easier to say your sins are forgiven, because how do you judge that? In the moment, right? That seems like that's a, well, yeah, it's, it's so much easier to say that, because the other option requires physical evidence, right? So if he were to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home, well, that guy would actually have to do that. And then there's your proof right there. But to say your sins are forgiven, well, we could say that to each other all day long. So logically, the answer for them would be, well, to say your sins are forgiven would be the easier thing to state. But Jesus doesn't even give them the option to retort or to come back. He says, I'll prove to you that I'm the son of man. That's a title that he's taken on himself that has connections back into the book of Daniel Once we get a little bit further into the Gospel of Mark, where this title gets used more frequently, we'll define that a little bit more, but it's like a messianic title, okay? He's God in flesh, the son of man. A lot of that is also identifying with us, okay? We'll get into that later. He says, I'll prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralyzed man and says, stand up pick up your mat and go home. This is what I find this hysterical too. Jesus like kicks him out, right? He's like, hey, uh, he could have stayed. Jesus could have been like, hey, stand up, roll up that mat, do some jumping jacks, run around the room, you know? He's like, stand up, roll up your mat and get out of here. The guy's like, hops up, rolls up his mat and he's gone. And he's gone. I would have been like, no, stay. You just run around, like show us this miraculous act. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Jesus tells this man, this paralyzed man, fully aware of his physical condition, having just solved his greatest need, and that was the need of forgiveness of sins, he tells the man to do the impossible. Again, we don't know how long this guy's been paralyzed. Part of that is we don't even know if this man has ever walked in his life. We don't know. More than likely, probably at one point in time had You may or may not know if if you've ever encountered like a traumatic injury and you've been off your feet for a certain amount of time, your muscles, you don't use them, you lose them. I mean, that's just how it goes. And if you're flat on your back for a certain amount of time, walking, although at one point in time, and it still kind of is a natural thing, it doesn't always come back naturally and automatically, There's a reason why there's a lot of rehabilitation for major traumatic injuries, even that don't involve the legs or anything like that, because you have to relearn how to move again. Here's a man who's been paralyzed for, we have no idea how long. Maybe he had learned how to walk at some point in time before he was paralyzed. Maybe he's never learned how to walk. The point of it is, is Jesus says, hey, stand up, do something you've never done for, or we probably haven't done in a very long time, that you yourself don't have the power, you don't have the willpower and the positive thinking and all that stuff to make this happen. You need to obey me. Stand up. Guy stands up. Roll up your mat. Dude rolled up his mat get out. (laughs) And the guy walked out. Like, he didn't say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. Like, he's like, yeah, go ahead, go home. 
Why go home? Well, maybe his family's back at home. Maybe his family didn't show up to church that day. And so maybe this guy who just had the most incredible encounter with Jesus, forgiven of sins, restored physically, restored spiritually, restored physically, now gets to go home. Can you believe the witness and the testimony that is to his family? He's probably playing around with them, knocks on the door. It's like hiding around the corner, thing, doing things I would have done, right? Like just totally messing with them. And then he just pops out. He's like, hey, here I am. Can you imagine the joy and the tears that were probably flowing from not only his eyes? I mean, my goodness, my goodness, the release that he would feel. But maybe family members that have only ever known him as a paralyzed individual. And they get to embrace them. And he gets to actually embrace them back, which he's never done. Because our understanding of this paralytic man was that he was fully paralyzed. So you, you can understand, he could feel touch, but not able to actually embrace. And maybe for the first time in his life, he's actually able to embrace his loved ones. There's a good chance that that's why Jesus sent him home. What a witness. What a tremendous witness. You showed up and Jesus met you there. And he did the best thing ever for you. And he's forgiven you of your sins. He's set you free. He's restored you. And then you go home. And you serve as a witness, a living witness, a living example of the grace of God. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. So he proves it. He's like, Look, I told this guy his sins are forgiven, but if that's, you know, you don't believe me when I say that, then that's cool. Maybe you'll believe me when I tell him to get up and roll up his mat and go home. And that's what he did. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 12, though, I love the New Living Translation because it elaborates a little bit. I think it takes some liberty here. We don't see this in the original Greek, but I'm okay with it. Because in the original Greek, it says the man, he got up. Okay. And you're like, okay, that's cool. New Living Translation says, oh, he jumped up, right? which is, I love that. I love that because this guy has placed his faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says, hey, I want you to stand up. The guy not only just stood up, he jumped up, which is what our reaction and our response should always be to Jesus when he tells us to do something. Hey, I want you to do this. Boom. Yes. Yes. What do you want me to do? Immediate. Immediate. Yes, absolutely. I'll jump up, Jesus. I'll jump up. Not like, oh, man, seriously? And let me get up. And dude, I haven't walked in years, right? Let me shake off the rust and all that. It's like on his feet, jumped up, hopped up, ready to go, full obedience, full obedience. Guys, that's what he wants from us. Full obedience, complete surrender, complete surrender. There's no negotiating with Jesus. There is no table of negotiation. Okay, Jesus, um, you forgive me of my sins, then uh, I'll do this for you. And only to this extent, though, there's no negotiating with him. You're either all in or you're not. And holiness demands all in. All in. Do I always want to do the things he tells me to do? No. No. 
No, you don't, don't. Please don't think that I somehow have like this perfect relationship with Jesus where he's like, James, I want you to go do this. And I'm like, yes, sir. And smile on my face all the time. Because he's told me to do things where I'm like, no, I don't want to. And I haven't done those things. And I have felt wretched afterwards. Get that kick in the stomach. That's called conviction by the Holy Spirit for not being obedient. I've been there. I've done that. I've also experienced the other side of that too, where it's like, James, I want you to go and do this. I really don't want to do that. I really just, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to do it. It's almost worse than saying no, okay? If you have kids, you understand that. You're like, ugh. Look, it's hot or cold, man, not lukewarm. Lukewarm is gross. I've been there as well. I've been there as well. And man, I've participated in many like blessing type stories because of the obedience. I've missed out on so much stuff because I said no. But I really love it. I really, really love it because there are times in my life, because I'm not totally jacked up, not completely, but there have been times in my life where he's like, James, do this. And I say, absolutely. And I jump, not understanding not being able to fully comprehend all the details. But he says, I want you to do this. And I jump, I jump up, I hop up to it. And it's amazing. It is amazing just to walk in obedience with Jesus. It's so freeing. It's just incredible. And that's this guy's story from being a paralytic to having his friends doing anything and everything to get him to Jesus. And then Jesus seeing their faith and Jesus saying, look, your sins are forgiven. The man probably was stoked with that. He's like, yes, I'll receive that. I'll receive that because it's probably, it may have been my sins that got me here. Then he went one step further and he's like, stand up. It's time for you to go home. And then he gets to walk out the room. And as he walks out the room, it says he jumped up, he grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. Of course, they're stunned onlookers. I mean, my goodness, if we're, I don't know how they would do it, but if somebody lowered somebody through this roof right in front of me, I don't know if I'd be your first choice, okay? But if you witness that event, you would be stunned. Your eyes would be huge and your jaw would be dropped and all that stuff. And you'd be probably responding the same way these guys were. I mean, it was just real. It was not staged. This guy wasn't a plant. It wasn't like, hey, let's pack out this room. And then at this right time, I want you guys to lower the dude through the roof and get him right here in front of Jesus. And then, yeah, he'll be paralyzed, but not really paralyzed. And none of that, it was none of that. It was the real deal. And it was absolutely spontaneous. And nobody planned this thing out. If anybody had a plan, number one, it's Jesus, because he knows I'm going to get back to Capernaum on this day because he's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's like, and I'm a Peter, I'm going to be preaching in your house. And don't worry about your roof. I'm sorry, what? Just forget about it. I'm going to be preaching and this amazing thing is going to happen. And if anybody else had a plan, it was the four guys with their buddy saying, we're going to get you there. We know he can help you. We're going to get you to him. These onlookers, it says, they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And they hadn't. And they hadn't. And Jesus is checking off the boxes, the Messiah boxes. One of those boxes, though, in the Messiah checklist was never to 
forgive sins if you read back through it. So even with these scribes who are like, well, maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's not, because all they're looking for is for him to heal the lame, bring sight to the blind, the mute to speak. And there's one more thing that they weren't paying attention to anything about forgiveness of sins or anything like that. They were hoping, they were really banking on the fact that he was going to overthrow the government. And they were fixated on that. And that's why they missed so much of the other stuff. But Jesus was like, check, check, check. And the whole way through the Gospel of Mark, he's just checking off boxes. Yeah, you want me to prove I'm the Messiah? You want me to prove that I'm the Savior? Check. What else do you need? Paralyzed man can walk? Check. Blind to see? That's going to be happening pretty soon? Check. People with withered body parts, arms, and all that good stuff? Check. Demons cast out? Check. Forgiveness of sin. Oh, we didn't think that was, we didn't expect that one. Oh, don't worry about it. Check. Got that one too. It's amazing. Jesus is the most amazing person ever, ever. And if you, if you have individuals within your life that need to be brought to his feet, then you stay determined. You stay determined. You be just like these four friends. You don't give up. You approach the door, that door's closed. Find another way. Find another way. You don't stop. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop asking. You get them to where they need to be. But it doesn't always have to be the church because this is at Peter's house. So maybe you need to get them to your home. Maybe you need to get them within a group of individuals who are believers and love Jesus. And when two or three are gathered together, he's there with them. You get your friends to Jesus. You get your loved ones to Jesus. And as you're doing that, you remember and you celebrate the ones who never gave up on you. Never gave up on you when you were the paralyzed one. And they did everything possible to get you to Jesus. So you celebrate that. Thank them. Give them a phone call today. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much for grabbing the corner of my bed, so to speak, and getting me to Jesus. You appreciate them. And then all of you can celebrate Jesus together for what he did. But we don't give up, guys. We do not give up. And if you happen to find yourself as the paralyzed, the paralytic within the story today, and you're like, well, I'm here. I'm here. Well, here's what I would offer for you. Let them solve the biggest issue in your life. And it's your sins. I know this is like a bad word nowadays, right? Like we don't talk about sins. Well, guess what? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. So why aren't we talking about it? What are we offended by? Oh, I'm offended by that? I sin. I, God tells me don't do certain things, and I've, done, I've broken his law. So have you. We've all done it. So let's own it. Here's the difference, though. All my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And I hope that they, I pray that that's true for you today. If that's not true, if that's not a reality for you today, then let's solve that today. And let's ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. The greatest need in your life is that.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.